As I mentioned last time, there are seven that sings from the cross, and the first three came very early, at the beginning. The crucifixion began about nine o'clock-ish in the morning and ended about three o'clock-ish in the afternoon, about six hours Jesus spent on the cross. At the very beginning, he said the first three uh, phrases, the first three sayings from the cross. The first one, of course, was a prayer to his heavenly Father. He said, Father, forgive them, forgive his enemies who were tormenting him at that time. That was his first saying immediately when he was crucified. Shortly after that, he spoke to the, the thief that was dying next to him on the cross. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, this day you will be with me in paradise. That was the second saying early on. The third one happened shortly after that. Early on, and still in the morning, Jesus spoke to his mother. He said, Woman, behold your son. He pointed his mother to John, that John would be her, her caretaker uh, from that moment forward. Those are the three sayings he said early on. And then something happened. Darkness fell, about noonish. A darkness fell, and it was dark for up to three hours until the end, until Christ died about three o'clock in the afternoon. There was darkness. At the end of that darkness, Jesus cried out and spoke four final sayings. We, we looked at one of them uh, last week. He cried out from the, the depths of that darkness and, his, and the, the height of his agony. He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And immediately when he had said this, he, he cried out his fifth saying. And then immediately after that, his sixth saying. And then his final saying. So all four of these final sayings came one right after another, right at the very end of the crucifixion, moments before he would die. Last week we looked at the spiritual suffering, the spiritual agony that Christ experienced when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Today we're looking at his physical agony, his physical suffering. Uh, this is when he cried out, I thirst. Our text is John chapter 19, verse 28 and 29. This is what God's word says. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on hyssop, and put it to his mouth. Jesus had just cried out with a loud voice, saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He was about to cry out again in a loud voice. But it was almost as though he were physically incapable of doing that. That his, his throat was so dry, that he was so weary, that he was so exhausted, that he was in so much pain. That he, he had to you know, almost whisper, I thirst. So he get just a little more water, a little more fluid in his mouth so that he could uh, cry out with a loud voice uh, in just a moment after that and say it is finished. We'll look at that next week. But, but right now we're looking at his uh, fifth saying, I thirst. Now, this might be a little bit confusing because I, I kind of uh, confuse these in my mind sometimes. This is the second time that, that Jesus was offered something to drink. This is the only time that any of the Gospels record for us that Jesus said, I thirst. It's only recorded in John. These two words, I thirst. Actually, it's one word in the original language. He said, I thirst is one word. But that word is only included in John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke do not include his spoken word, I thirst. 
but John does. But Matthew does record two times when, when Jesus was offered something to drink. The first time comes in Matthew 27. This is when they had just brought him there to Golgotha, where, the, where he would be crucified, right before they crucified him. In fact, the words right after this, the, the words are, then they crucified him. But before that, before they crucified him, this is what Matthew says. When they had come to a place called Golgotha, that is to say, place of a skull, they gave him sour wine mingled with gall to drink. But when he had tasted it, he would not drink so at the very beginning, six hours before this time, at nine o'clock in the morning, right before they hoisted him on the cross, right before he was nailed to the cross, he was offered sour wine mingled with gall to drink. And when he had tasted it on his lips, he said no, he refused. I think that, that first offer was just a small act of humanity and compassion. They, they were about to torture and crucify him. He was, he was about to die. And yet before they did that, they offered him just a little bit of relief, uh, a little bit of a sedative, something to ease the pain a little bit. And when he tasted what it was, that it was a sedative, that it would ease the pain a little bit, he refused. He said no. He was there to suffer. He was there to agonize. And so at the very beginning, at 9 o'clock in the morning, before they hoisted him on the cross, he was offered sour wine mingled with gall to drink, and he refused. He said no. Then Matthew tells us the second time. Now, it doesn't record the words here, but I think this is the time. This is when Jesus said, I thirst. Matthew doesn't say that that's what he said, but we are told that in John. So when he said, I thirst, this is what Matthew says. Immediately one of them ran and took a sponge, filled it with sour wine, and put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink. This was done because he said, I thirst. So two times he was offered something to drink. The second time is when he really needed it because he was about to cry out with a loud voice again. And uh, he, he, he physically was incapable of doing that without getting some moisture in his mouth. He was about to breathe his last. And so this was a necessary thing for him to do. So we're looking at this fifth saying of Christ, I thirst. Our text is John chapter 19. And I think that the main point of this is that Jesus is human like us and that we desperately need a Savior who is like us. That only a human Savior will, will work. That it had to be a human Savior to take our place and to die on the cross for us. And so his, his word, I thirst, is a testament to his humanity, that he is like us, that he is human. Now, there's, there's three different ways I would like to, to look at this. The first way is, is biblically, through prophecy, that this is Jesus fulfilling prophecy. That's what our text said in John. In John chapter 19, it says that the scriptures might be fulfilled. So it actually gives us the reason why Jesus said, I thirst. Of course, the, the obvious reason is he was thirsty and very dry and needed a drink. That's certainly true. But it's also because he was fulfilling prophecy that the scriptures might be fulfilled. Well, what prophecy are we talking about? Well, let's go back to Psalm 22. This is the very psalm we talked about last week. This is the very psalm that starts in verse 1 with these words. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
It's that psalm, the psalm that Jesus had just quoted on his lips. Later on in that psalm, verse 15, it says this, my strength is dried up like a potsherd. See the dryness there. My tongue clings to my jaws. The physical thirst is, is so terrible that his tongue is clinging to his jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. That is what the psalmist had written hundreds of years before Christ was crucified. And Jesus had just quoted verse 1, and now he's fulfilling verse 15. He's fulfilling the prophecy that he would be dry, that his mouth would be dry, that his tongue would be swollen and clinging to his jaws. That prophecy is fulfilled. You know, it's kind of interesting that uh, I, I didn't put the whole uh, psalm up here, Psalm 22, but I'm, I'm going to give you just a, a brief run-through of the other prophecies in that one psalm that were fulfilled already, that were completed already. I already showed you the, the first one. The first one is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's the first verse. That's how it starts. Uh, later on in the psalm, in verse 6, it says, I am a reproach of men and despised by the people. That was fulfilled. That had already been fulfilled. Verse 7 says, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. That had already been fulfilled. It had happened literally to Jesus just hours before he fulfilled those verses. In verse 13, it says, They gape at me with their mouths. That was fulfilled. The people were standing around gaping at Jesus as he was dying on the cross. In verse 14, it says, All my bones are out of joint. I am poured out like water. That had been fulfilled as he had been hanging there for six hours, straining at his very muscles and tendons on his bone. It must have felt like his bones were just stretched and pulled out of joint. That had been fulfilled. Verse 16 says, They pierced my hands and feet. That had been fulfilled at 9 o'clock that morning. He had been pierced and nailed to the cross. Verse 17 says, I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. That was certainly fulfilled as he was hanging on the cross. Every, every bone stretching out to be seen. Verse 18 says, They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That had been fulfilled at 9 o'clock that morning, too, as he was crucified, and the soldiers um, gambled for his garments, cast lots for his garments. All those scriptures, and, and that's just in one psalm. In that one psalm, all those scriptures have been fulfilled, and in this final moment that the scriptures might be fulfilled, he cries out and says, I thirst. This isn't the only Scripture that was fulfilled either. There's another psalm, Psalm 69, verse 21. It says, They also gave me gall for my food, and for my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. You remember he had already refused it one time, but here it is offered to him again, and he needs it. He, he receives it for his final sayings. He fulfilled these two passages of Scripture. It was God's will for Jesus to come to earth, it was God's will for him to ride into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. It was God's will for Jesus to die on the cross. And Jesus was faithful and obedient even unto death. And he fulfilled every word of the Old Testament prophecy about him. I shouldn't say every, because there are some that are still future that he is about to fulfill, that he will fulfill. We know that he will because he already has fulfilled all the other ones about him. 
And so we know that he will fulfill the ones that are yet future also. Jesus said, I thirst, and in doing so, he fulfilled the prophecy. That's the, the biblical viewpoint. That's what John 19, the text says, that the scriptures might be fulfilled. But there's also a theological significance to this when he says, I thirst. And the theological significance is about the humanity of Jesus and how God became man. And, and you have this union, these two natures joined in one person, Jesus Christ. And theologically, it's put this way, that without ceasing to be God, Jesus became fully human. There's a lot of different ways that people have theologically looked at this, but this is the right way to look at it. This is the right way to state it. This is the right way to say it. This is the right way to believe it. This is what the Bible teaches. That Jesus did not cease to be God. Some people say, well, how could God become man without losing some of his godness, without losing some of his deity, without losing some of his holiness, or something like that? How can God become man without stopping, ceasing to be God. I, I know it's, it's hard to picture, it's hard to imagine. Uh, theologically, there's a word for it. It's called the hypostatic union. There's a good word, you can Google it. The, the hypostatic union is the union of the divine and the human, the, the nature of God and the nature of man combined into one person, Jesus Christ. And it, it is a mystery somewhat. It is kind of like the Trinity. You know, the Bible teaches it, but it's hard for us to understand it. It's kind of like uh, divine sovereignty and human free will. Uh, the Bible teaches it, and the Bible teaches both of them, and yet it's, it's very hard for us to understand how they work together, how they go together. And yet it's true. And so the Bible teaches that, that Jesus is fully God, 100% God. The Bible teaches that Jesus is fully man, 100% man. And that those two 100% natures are combined into one person, Jesus Christ. Without ceasing to be God, Jesus became fully human. Now, when he became human, he did have to surrender some of the independent exercise of some of his divine attributes. That means that he still possessed those attributes, but that he chose not to use those attributes. It's kind of like uh, if, if you have a cell phone, and uh, the cell phone has so many wonderful things on it. Um, I use my cell phone for um, making calls every once in a while, for texting every once in a while, maybe play a few games on there every once in a while, um, just to humor my grandson by playing my singing monsters. You know, we, we, we do that. We have fun doing that. But um, maybe take a picture every once in a while, even though I don't take as many, nearly as many pictures as you guys take. All right. Maybe uh, take some videos every once in a while. But you know, my phone can do a lot more stuff on it. It has a lot more attributes in it. And I, I will never use all of them. In fact, sometimes you can turn them off. You can, uh, you can disable certain features. It still has the feature, but you can disable the Wi-Fi, for instance. Um, or you can go old school. It still has a camera on it, but you could go old school and you could put a little piece of duct tape over the, uh, over the camera lens and now it, it won't take a picture. It still has that capability. It still has that function, but it's just veiled. It's covered, so it's not usable at that time. That's kind of the way uh, God, uh, that's, that's the way Jesus is with his divine nature, with his nature of being God. 
He still possesses the, the divine nature, but uh, certain of the attributes have been temporarily disabled or covered up, not with duct tape, but, but veiled by God so that, that they're unusable. He still possesses them. He still contains them, but he chooses not to use them during his time on the earth. So he didn't have to give up any of his godness to come to man, to, to become a man, to come to earth. By the same nature, he's really fully human. Now, that sounds wrong to us because we use human in a negative way. To err is human, right? To sin is human because everybody that we know makes mistakes because everybody that we know is a sinner. And so we, we say, well, those two must be the same thing. To be human is to be a sinner. To be human is to make mistakes. And, and that's true of everybody in the whole world that we know. But it's not true of humanity. It's not true of, of the essential characteristics of what it means to be human. Because Jesus is fully human, 100% human, but yet without sin, without the sin nature. And so uh, it says something about Jesus' humanity here. So let's, let's look at uh, what the Bible teaches about Jesus' humanity. And we're just going to scroll through some of these verses quickly uh, to tell us about Jesus and his humanity. John 4, verse 6, Jesus was wearied from his journey. He took a long journey. He traveled a lot. And at the end of the day, he was tired. He was exhausted. He was worn out. God does not get weary. God does not get tired. And yet Jesus, as the God-man, fully God and fully man, because of his humanity, he was weary from his journey. Matthew 4, verse 2, said he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and afterward he was hungry. Well, yeah, after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, anybody would be hungry. He's human. God does not get hungry. God does not need food. And yet Jesus in his humanity was hungry. He needed sustenance. Luke 2 says that uh, when Jesus was 12 years old, he was left in Jerusalem. And when his parents found him there, what was he doing? He was listening and he was asking questions. God doesn't need to ask questions, but young Jesus as a human would listen to people and answer, or asked questions. Later on in verse 52, it says, Jesus increased in wisdom. God does not increase in wisdom. God possesses all wisdom. But Jesus, with some of his wisdom veiled, with some of his wisdom disabled, uh, he still possessed that wisdom, but he did not use it. But he gained wisdom as he was growing as a young boy. He grew and increased in wisdom and in stature. John 11, Jesus groaned in the spirit and was troubled. This was at the funeral of his dear friend, Lazarus. He groaned and was deeply troubled. Just a few verses later, Jesus wept. That's a very human thing too. These are very human emotions. He was, he was troubled at the funeral of his friend. He wept at the thought of his Suffering family, the family of his friend. Very human response. Mark chapter 1, Jesus prayed. He'd gotten up early. He went off by himself after a busy day, and uh, he prayed. Now, God doesn't need to rely upon prayer because he's the God who answers prayer. But Jesus, as a human, prayed to his heavenly Father. 
Luke chapter 10, Jesus rejoiced. Another human emotion, a human experience. These are all things that Jesus did as a human. And theologically, why is that important? Why is it necessary that Jesus is human? Well, theologically, the answer is Hebrews 4, verse 15 and 16. We do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. In all points, in every aspect of humanity, he was just like us. He went through all the experiences that we go through. He was tired. He was hungry. He was thirsty, as we see today when he cried out, I thirst. He rejoiced. He prayed. He learned. He grew. He was sad. He had all the, the spectrum of human experiences and human emotions and human responses in all ways, yet without sin. And what is the conclusion then? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Because we have a human Savior, he knows us, he understands us, he's been there. He entered into our world, he entered into our suffering, he experienced it firsthand. He is our great high priest, he is our Savior, and in him we can always find grace, we can always obtain mercy, and when we need it the most, he's there. He's our human Savior. It's also the same concept as eloquently put by Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. That sums it all up right there. Jesus is the king of glory enjoying uh, the, the throne in glory. In eternity past, and yet he left all that to come into this world. And there he, he was on the cross. He was, he was hanging there. He was dying. He was experiencing the, the spiritual agony of separation from God. And he was experiencing the physical agony and the pain and the thirst. And he cried out, I thirst, as a, as a reminder that he had given all that up so that we might be saved. So that all who believe in him could have everlasting life. That's the importance of his humanity, that without ceasing to be God, he became fully human. So we looked at it biblically, that this was a fulfillment of prophecy. We looked at it theologically, that his humanity is an essential part of his, um, the salvation that he gives us, of his plan of salvation. He had to be human, to be our great high priest. Um, now we're, we're going to look at it um, more spiritually. There was this physical thirst that he was enduring, but the Bible also uh, talks about a spiritual thirst and that Jesus is the answer to that, that Jesus quenches our spiritual thirst, that only Jesus satisfies our spiritual thirst. It's kind of reminiscent. Do you remember the story that Jesus told about the rich man and Lazarus? The rich man was not saved. Lazarus, the poor beggar, was saved. And so they both die, and the rich man finds himself in torment, in hell. The poor man, the poor beggar, Lazarus, is saved. He trusts God. And so he finds himself in the bosom of Abraham, gently carried by angels to the bosom of Abraham. And you remember uh, what the rich man says from his torment, from his separation from God, from, from hell. He cries out, 
And he just has one request. And you remember what that request is? Could, could Lazarus kind of just dip the tip of his finger into water and put it on my mouth? The separation from God just is dry and, and empty. And uh, just one drop of water would be so satisfying when you're experiencing separation from God. Well, Jesus on the cross was experiencing that separation from God. There had just been three hours of darkness. And out of that darkness, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had, had turned his back on Jesus because Jesus was bearing the sins of the world. Your sin and my sin upon him. He was separated from God. And, and so this thirst was a physical thirst, but it was more than that. It, it speaks of the spiritual thirst, too, this, this separation from God. And, and only Jesus is, can, can solve that problem. Only Jesus can bridge that gap between us and God. Only Jesus can solve that problem of separation. Our sin separates us from God. But only Jesus can remove our sin so that we can be reunited with God, so that our spiritual thirst can be quenched. And, and I'd like to do just a, a real quick Bible study through the, the book of John. Since John is the only one that records these words, I thirst, what does John say about the spiritual thirst in his gospel, in his book? Well, you have to go start way back at the very beginning, in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word is Jesus. Jesus is with God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Jesus is the creator. He created all things. He created the oceans, he created the lakes, he created the rivers, he created the clouds that pour rain upon the land. He created the Ogallala Aquifer. He created every water drop in the universe he created. He created the hydrogen molecules and the oxygen molecules, and he holds them together in the right proportion so that they can be water. That is our creator, it is Jesus, the one who designed water. And yet hanging up on the cross, he's dry. And he cries out, I thirst. In John chapter 2, you remember Jesus' first miracle? Yeah, you remember that miracle. It had to do with water, and it had to do with wine, didn't it? Jesus made something for people to drink. It was at a wedding, and they were out of wine. And Jesus miraculously turned the water into wine to quench their thirst. It was a miracle that Jesus did. It was his first miracle. It was the first miracle recorded in the Gospel of John that our very creator who spoke the molecules into existence, now he turned water into wine so that people can be happy, so that people can have a party, so that people can celebrate a wedding. That's our God. That's our Savior. That's who he is. And yet on the cross, he's thirsty. You remember John chapter 4? It's the story of the Samaritan woman by the well. And she comes to draw water at noon when nobody else is there and is surprised to find Jesus is there. And you remember what Jesus tells her about water? Jesus said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. That woman got saved that day. That woman believed Jesus that day. She went and told others. Others from the town came out to talk to Jesus, and they believed in Jesus. 
I don't know how many people that day found the living water that Jesus offered and Jesus quenched their spiritual thirst. He's the answer. He's the only one that can do it. And yet he's hanging on the cross and he cries out, I thirst. In John chapter 6, Jesus was teaching, and as he was teaching, he said, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink, you have no life in you. I know that sounds strange, but he explains it later on. He's not talking about cannibalism. He's not talking about physically eating flesh and physically drinking blood. He said, what I, the words that I'm saying are spirit. He's talking spiritually here. Spiritually eat his flesh and drink his blood. What does that mean? It means accept his sacrifice. On the cross, he's offering his body as a sacrifice. He's shedding his blood in our place as a sacrifice. And so all you have to do is accept that. If you, if you believe that and accept that, then it's spiritually as though you are feasting upon his flesh and drinking his blood because you are putting your faith and trust in him as the sacrifice for our sin. He's the only answer. And uh, spiritually speaking, um, he's offering us something to drink something to quench our spiritual longing. The next chapter, John chapter 7, Jesus stood up, and on that last uh, great day of the feast, this is the Feast of Tabernacles, it was this day that the, the priest would ceremonially parade down to the water and fill their, their containers full of water and then ceremonially parade back to the temple and pour out the water as an offering, a sacrifice to God. It was a, a very public display. And while that was going on, Jesus cried out and said, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now, the next verse goes on to explain again what this is. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. If you believe in Jesus, accept his sacrifice that he died on the cross for your sin. Put your faith and trust in him. You will be saved. And the Holy Spirit will abide within you. And the Holy Spirit will provide the, uh, a fresh abundance of living water every day continually. He's like a, a fresh stream flowing out from the inside out. That's the benefit of salvation. And only Jesus can provide that. You, you don't get the Spirit within you until you know Christ as your Savior, until you put your faith and trust in him. So you, you just do just a brief survey of John, and, and you find out that John speaks a lot about the spiritual thirst and our need for living water, the spiritual water that can only be quenched by our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Jesus cried out this fifth saying on the cross, I thirst, just one simple word in the original language, and yet so much powerful meaning in there. He thirsted because obviously he was physically thirsty, but he also thirsted because he was fulfilling prophecy. He was doing exactly what the Old Testament said he would do. He was also explaining something theologically, that he is human, that without ceasing to be God, he became fully human to be our Savior. And he's also saying something spiritually, that only Jesus can quench our spiritual thirst. Do you have any spiritual thirst today? Is there some dryness in your soul? Is there some inner longing that is yet to be satisfied, yet to be quenched? Jesus has that answer. He gave up everything to die on the cross so that he could fulfill our needs and our spiritual needs. Jesus cried out our thirst. There's no reason, there's no need for you 
or for me to be spiritually thirsty anymore. He offers us salvation and he offers us the, the filling of the Spirit. Let's close with a word of prayer.